0: Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your words unto us that we might indeed see the word, even Christ, and all that he hath done to create a people that are after his image and after his likeness. In his name we pray, amen. Um, There is a great deal of scriptural truth in Genesis chapter 1. I had mentioned to you last week that the Bible can fold in on itself as is the uh, glorious vision in the book of e- Ezekiel describes it as a wheel turning within itself and so is um, the Bible. here. You can compress the whole Bible into Genesis chapter 1 and then you can recompress it into let's say the first uh, seven verses or the first 13 verses and then recompress into the first um, seven verses, and so we 're going to do that we 're going to unfold the scripture, Lord willing, and see Christ in it and see the gospel and all of the things that God has done to create the heaven and the earth. Um, I was thinking of a good way that we might um, appreciate this. I was thinking about my wife yesterday who attended a um, eighth grade uh, reunion. she had gone to a parochial school with a, a number of kids and um, had an opportunity to visit with some of them. And what was interesting is one of the women came up to her and asked her if she was a Christian. And I thought, well, that's a strange question for somebody to do that you haven't seen in almost 50 years. It was a 50-year reunion. And so this is not a reunion like you and I might go to for our high school, because these kids, many of them had gone to the same parochial school since the first grade. They all knew each other, and many of their families knew each other's families. So they had a... um, Um, a relationship, which extended beyond the normal academic relationship you might have if you just went to um, class with a person. Their families knew each other. Sometimes they vacationed together. They went to outings together, school and church functions together. So you have a large group of people, not unlike what we're going to see in Genesis today, and yet out of that group, a couple of them become Christian. And so um, when they came together, the uh, woman asked my wife, well, you know, like, how did you become a Christian? And so when people begin to share their witness and testimony, they usually um, begin with their experiential. This is what I was going through in my life, and these are the things that I thought about. These are the things that I saw. These are the things that were set before me, as though I then um, navigated this process and made an intellectual conclusion based on the things that were set before me, because that is our experience. That is how we see things. Um, And so uh, while they were going to continue with this exchange and perhaps go deeper into how a person really becomes illuminated about the uh, truth of who Christ is, um, somebody came and interrupted the conversation, and so that is where it ended. But again, that is where we start when we're sharing with people. Um, the scripture says in Romans 3.11 that we've talked about before, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And so while we're sharing with our experience with somebody, we might say, well, you know, I was kind of feeling empty inside, and I was struggling with this issue or that issue, and so I was kind of looking for something, and then uh, I found God. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It says there is none that seeketh after God. And as far as the intellect is concerned, again, it says that there is none that understandeth. And so the gospel is shared before a group of people, and the only people that quote understand are those in whom God shines the light of the knowledge of Christ into their hearts. John six forty four. It's nice that we just finished uh, studying the Gospel of John. In John six forty four, the Lord says, "No man can come to me, except the Father with has sent me. Draw him." God the Father has to draw you to Christ. Christ was sent by the Father, and God has to draw you to Christ. And then Jesus continues, "says And I will raise him up." On the last day, we're going to see that in the scripture today about being raised up. In John 6 29, it says, This is the work of God. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Jesus is speaking and he's saying, This is God's work that you would believe on me. I've been sent by God, and that you might believe on me is the work of God. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we can appreciate that in the creative process whereby God created the heaven and the earth, that God is teaching us about Christ in particular, and in general, he's teaching us about the gospel. In Psalm 40, verse 7, the Son of God says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. The volume of the book would be the entire Bible. I come, meaning the Son. God was manifest in flesh. It is written of me. It is written about Jesus the Christ. Jesus says that that verse is speaking of him in John five thirty nine when he's speaking again to the um, scribes and Pharisees, and he says, search the scriptures. In other words, open up the whole Bible. Read what you can here. For in them... Ye think ye have eternal life. In other words, you're looking for a formula here. You're thinking that if you obey the law, you're thinking that if you jump through a certain number of hoops, you'll have eternal life. But he says, They are they which testify of me. All the scriptures testify of Christ. And then he says, And you wouldn't come to me that you might have life. I'm standing right in front of you. The entire Bible is teaching and speaking about me. I'm right here, and you won't come to me that you might have life, because in him is life. He is the life of the world. So God, in the process by which he literally, in six 24-hour days, spoke heaven and earth into existence, in that process, he preaches the gospel. You know, we have some pretty clever authors um, alive who will write a book um, in an allegorical sense or in a parabolic sense because they're really talking about something else. God does that in the lives of people, and he certainly did it in the creation of the heaven and the earth. He's teaching spiritual truths here. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that the Spirit moves upon the face of the deep, and then the Lord speaks. So we see the Spirit and the Word. We see the Spirit appear in verse 2, and we see the Word speaking in verse 3. And that's exactly how it works in your life when you become a believer. The Spirit moves on your heart, and God speaks the truth into your heart. In John chapter 3, the Lord is speaking to um, Nicodemus, and he's explaining this truth to him. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, born from again here in the Greek means born from above. Unless you're born from above, can't see this, can't understand it. You've got to be born from above. Verse 5, he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit. Well, here in context, the water represents the gospel. Unless you're born of the gospel and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Drops down to verse 8, and he says, the wind, he's speaking of the Spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth. In other words, it goes wherever it wants to. You're seeing that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God is moving upon the face of the deep. The wind bloweth where um, where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so you have the Spirit and the gospel. You have the Spirit and the word, just like you see in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. That's what the Lord is explaining for us um, here, that we would appreciate that. In 1 John, chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, again, we have a similar um, expression here. In 1 John 5, 7 and 8, the, um, the Lord tells us, "...for there are three that bear record in heaven." the Father, and the Word, of course, is Christ, the Son of God, 1 John 5, 7 and 8, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Three separate entities, yet they're one here. And verse 8, he says, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, well, that's the Holy Ghost, and the water, that would be the gospel, and the blood, that would be the cross, and these three agree in one. The cross, the gospel, the gospel, and uh, the Spirit, they all agree in one. So we see this in Genesis chapter 1 where we see these things come together. We're going to see the cross here in just a few minutes as we get to verse number um, 6. So we should appreciate words have different meaning in the Scripture depending upon where they are used. It's always context, context, context. So sometimes the uh, water represents the gospel, as I just shared with you from John chapter 3. Sometimes it represents um, the uh, peoples, and we're going to see that in a little bit here. Um, and sometimes it represents um, the um, sin, and we talked about that last week as well. Now, remember from last week we looked at, we read Job chapter 38. and verse 4 of Job chapter 38, God asked the question to Job. He says, where was thou, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare it if thou hast understanding. I'll ask the same question to you. Where were you when God laid the foundation of the earth? Well, the Lord answers that question for us in Ephesians uh, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. The Lord tells us here in verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, But we are bound to give thanks. Always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. From the beginning, God hath chosen you. So where were you? Well, we'll answer that in a minute. Where unto he called you by our gospel unto the obtaining of the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, where were you? Let's go look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, again, we're going to get the answer to this. So, it, now you know already that you were chosen from the beginning. So, that takes you right back to Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So, from the beginning, He hath chosen you unto salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Where are the blessings? They are in Christ. Verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So when he asked Job the question, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? I'm going to tell you where you were. You were in Christ. You were in Christ. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, <clears throat> according to the good pleasure of his will. God willed this from before the foundations of the earth were laid, From before the beginning, God willed it, and this was his pleasure and his glory that he would do this. So where were you when God laid the foundations of the world? You were in Christ. Now, recall when we were in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 17, verses 23 and 24. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to put those two verses together. But I want us to appreciate this because Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says that God the Father has loved them, the elect... The saints, you and me, God has loved them as thou hast loved me. God loves the elect the same way he loves Christ. And he says in verse 24, For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God loved the people that he was going to elect unto salvation, the ones he predestinated before the foundation of the world. You were chosen and you were set apart, sanctified by the Spirit, and you were loved by God. So what we see folding here in Genesis chapter 1 is God helping us to appreciate and understand the gospel, and I want to share this with you. If this is not absolutely clear, you had nothing to do with it. So when my wife is sharing her experiential um, testimony with this particular individual, as we have all done in the past, the, the, the truth is we were in darkness, and Christ came to us and shined that light in our heart. And then our understanding was enlightened and illuminated and we began to appreciate the things that God had done in our life. When we get further into Genesis, we'll look at the life of Jacob. And that's a very interesting one because it's not until you get further down the road in Jacob's life that you can appreciate that God was working in his life from day one and all of the foolish things that Jacob did. It was God using what Jacob did towards his good, but our sovereign God was using Jacob, just like he would use a piece of clay and molding him into the image and likeness of God, just like he does to every single one of us. And I think every Christian can testify that that can be a painful and uncomfortable process as he uses things in this world and situations in our life and the things that we experience to mold us into his image and his likeness. And we get very frustrated with the process. We don't see his hand in it. And so we fall back on a... a, on the scripture, um, which says, you know, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But that doesn't always bring us comfort when we're in the midst of our trials, but it's true. So later you get down the road and you look back and you go, Oh, I get it. I see how that worked for my good. And I'm thankful for it. But when you're in the midst of it, it can be pretty uncomfortable and painful. So, in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, the word beginning is a um, euphemism for Christ himself. You are already in Christ. He has loved you from before the foundation of the world. He's loved you from the beginning. You're in him. In Revelation 1 verse 8, Jesus identifies himself as the beginning. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. So in Christ, he's created all of these things and and we are in him. And so right from the get-go in Genesis 1.1, we can appreciate that Christ is right there in that verse. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author, he's the source of it, he's the originator of it, and he's the finisher of our faith. He's going to take us from beginning to end. He is the beginning and the ending, and he is working in us um, to will and to do of his good pleasure, and he's going to take us and form himself in us until we are in both the image and likeness of Christ, which we are at the moment of regeneration, and then we start working out the issues um, in our life associated with sin as we experientially Are sanctified or separated from the world, which we'll get there in a minute. So last week we talked about how uh, we talked about the heart and how this face of the deep here in verse 2 here represents the heart. And we saw 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, where it talks about God commanding the light to shine out of darkness into the hearts, to um, reveal the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to put that knowledge in somebody's heart. in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it speaks about the day star rising in our hearts. So you can see through this development here, God is putting that light in the hearts of his people, and that light will grow over time as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our, George, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1, 19 is an obviously a reference to Christ as the day star that rises in our heart. Well, this week, we're going to uh, talk about how the waters represent people's and nations, and kindreds, and tongues, and tribes. And the Lord says that in Revelation 17, 15. He's very clearly in Revelation 17, 15. He says, the waters which thou sawest, that would be the waters upon which the woman who rides the beast, the whore who's sitting on the beast is over, the waters are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Peoples, multitudes, nations, and Tongues. Now, with respect to the heart of individuals, in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, uh, you know, last week we'd seen Isaiah 57:20, um, where it talked about the wicked people are like a troubled sea. So you can picture a troubled sea that's all choppy and stirring up um, mire. It says the people, the wicked, are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And that is certainly the fruits of our labors. The fruits of the flesh, rather, is is to cast up mire and and dirt. And the Lord says that in Genesis chapter 3. All the labor of your brow who's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. So in Romans chapter 3, I'll read verses 9 through 18. This is talking about men. What then? Are we better than they? In other words, are the Jews better than the Gentiles? When my wife went to that reunion... Are she and this other woman better than anybody else that was there at the reunion? And the answer is no. They're all the same. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they're all under sin. Everybody at that uh, reunion, they were all under sin. And Christ came specifically to some people. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all. All gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, and their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Very unflattering language, but that's how God views people, and it's true. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Is that not what we see in the world today? That's the way it's been since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And that has been what I see when I look out the window. So we see in Genesis chapter 1, darkness is upon the face of the deep. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it's helping us to, again, appreciate that that's where we were. That's where we were in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, making meaning saints, Christians, the elect, who were dead in trespasses and sins, that's where you used to be. You used to be there. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Everybody in that group at the reunion, they all started the same way. That's how they all were. That's how we all were. And in Genesis chapter 1, that's what we have. We have the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the deep. Uh, excuse me, the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. That's how this process starts for us. Now, we read in Matthew chapter 14, verses twenty through 30, 22 through 32, and that is the occasion where Jesus has sent the multitudes away. There's separation there between the multitudes and between his disciples. He goes up apart from the people and he prays by himself, and then he comes down and he walks across the water walking on the top of the water is tantamount to the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. There's a parallel here. And when they see him come, what do they say? They are afraid. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. They're afraid. Darkness flees from the light. That's what evil people do. You come in here, come in another place, turn on the light, and all the cockroaches run because that's what they do. They don't like the light. That's the way people are. They want to move away from the light. They're very much afraid. What does the Lord do? He brings peace to them. He brings comfort to them. He says, be not afraid. Peter goes out of the boat. What does he do? He takes his eye off of Christ. He looks around. He's afraid, and he plunks down into the water. And Jesus, like the Spirit of God moving across the waters, reaches down and fishes him out of the water, just like you see happening here in Genesis chapter 1, where the God is going to separate peoples from people. He's going to separate um, waters. And so, with respect to Christ being um, the Spirit of God, we can. it says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It tells us that the Spirit of God must dwell in us. It says there in Romans 8, 9, "...now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his." So we see this relationship between who Christ is and the Spirit of God. You must have the Spirit of God uh, in you. And so here we have the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. Now, Christ comes. He is the light of the world. Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. So imagine these darkened waters and Christ is the light and he comes and God's going to say, let there be light. And so that's in Isaiah 60 verse 1 is speaking about exactly what we see set before us here in the creative work of the Lord in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 2 of Isaiah 60, he continues and says, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. That's right where we are in Genesis here. And the gross darkness, the people but the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen in thee. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, all over again. He's going to take that glory, and he's going to put it in their hearts, and they shall know who Christ is. So in verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. Jesus says of himself, and John 9, 5, As long as I'm in the world, I am the light. Of the world. As long as Christ is in the world, he's a, he is the light of the world. However, then he tells us that we are the light of the world. Why? Because he's not in the world anymore. He's up in, in glory. And we are living in a time today where it is incumbent upon the Christians that their light should shine so forth among men that when they see our good works, they will do what? Glorify us? No. Glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Now, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 speaks about the times we are living in right now. It says in Isaiah 5:20, "Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter." That is the time we are living in today without a doubt. We have a governor of the state of California who has taken out billboards across the nation encouraging people to come out to California to murder their children. And then he's quoting a Bible verse. Love thy neighbor as thyself, as though you would be showing love to an individual to pay for the murder of their child. Not only will we pay pay the cost of you coming out here, but we'll put your other children that you haven't murdered, we'll put them in daycare and we will um, put you in a hotel and we will pay for this process. What he's done is uh, putting a Bible verse to what that which is a great evil. So that's a clear case where he is calling um, g- evil good. He's calling evil good. So, again, as Christians, it's incumbent upon us to point these things out to people as the subject might come up and to help them appreciate that things are really upside down here, that that is not how you show love for your neighbor. You show love for your neighbor by telling them not to do that, but rather that they would work hard to bring that child to, um, I'm going to say, birth, meaning from the womb because the child is already alive. It's been birthed by Christ, in the conception process, it is already alive, it is very much a baby. So these are the lives, uh, the times that we live in. They are times uh, of what I think of as great evil. Um, You may recall, had you been here before the last uh, election of Newsom, I told the church on Sunday, because the following Tuesday was going to be the election, I said, think about carefully who you vote for. If you wonder why God is uh, having our children shot up in schools and the state is on fire, Think about who you vote for. On Tuesday, Newsom was elected. On Wednesday, the the town of Paradise was wiped off the face of the earth, and there was a shooting of uh, young adults in a uh, bar down in, I think, Thousand Oaks. There are consequences for the things that we do. There are consequences for setting light for dark, I mean dark for light, and calling um, evil good. There are consequences that all of the people will pay for. The Lord says that, that we will have rulers who will lead us astray and there will be consequences um, for that. In Isaiah 3, verse 12, he says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the ways of thy path. There's consequences for following these evil rulers and everybody is going to suffer for them. So again, the point I'm trying to make here again is that Christ was the light until he left and now we are the light of the world. And we're going to see that as we move further into Genesis, where God creates those lights, the stars in the heaven, and he gives every one of them a name. He knows each one of us, and he has named every one of us. So in John 1, 9, it says that Jesus is the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, meaning the world of believers. Again, John three twenty seven: a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. And as far as receiving Christ, again, Christ is that good gift and perfect gift, which is from above and came down from the fathers of lights, from the father of lights. That's James 1:17. So back to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And the reason I keep going there is because God is clearly linking that verse with Genesis chapter 1. Um, God commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he shines that light into some people into some waters, not all of the waters, and he gives some of the waters, some people that knowledge. And so we appreciate in verse three, the light there was not created. That's a different word than the Lord uses elsewhere in the scriptures. That light was not created. It was simply came to pass. It came to happen. It was done. So it was not a created light. Now in verse four, we see that God saw the light that it was good. And we look for, we see this interesting pattern here in Genesis chapter 1, where we have light in verse 4, resurrection in verse 9, and also fruit and seed coming forth in verses 11 through 12, and such as it is in our life. God shines that light in our heart. We are resurrected, gone from uh, death to life, and then we bear fruit. The Lord says that faith without works is dead, and we understand that that works is fruit. And you see the same pattern in the Scripture. Light, resurrection, and then you see um, fruit. The resurrection and the fruit comes on what you would expect day three. Again, big pattern here, verses one, uh, excuse me, days one through three. We have dividing, binding, and then naming. Dividing, binding, and naming. In days four through six, we have adorning. God is adorning those things that we learned about earlier. He adorns um, the lights. And by that, we see the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he adorns the waters. We see fish bringing forth, uh, coming forth in the waters. And he adorns the earth, that it brings forth things until eventually on day six, it brings forth that which is in the likeness of God himself. After the which... God calls it all very good. And so, big pattern. Again, we see uh, a difference between the first three days and the second three days. Um, In verse 4, we have God dividing between the light and the darkness. Not just separating, but putting something in between, dividing them. In Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to see this all throughout the book of Genesis, you're going to see a recapitulation of spiritual truths. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 20, where the Lord is leading his people out of Egypt, it says, this is when they're right at the edge of the Red Sea, and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. There was something physically between the Egyptians and the Israelites, verse 20. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, darkness to the Egyptians. And it gave light by night to these so that the one came not near the other all the night. So the Egyptians are in darkness The Israelites are in light and there is something between them so they cannot come together. Now there's an illusion of the cross here because in um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 6, it talks about slaying the lamb. If you look into the Greek, excuse me, if you look into the Hebrew, it says that the lamb is slain between the evenings, between the evenings. So again, we see that there's something put in between. So, God separating the light from the darkness, separating light from darkness. We have a recapitulation that we will see uh, elsewhere in Scripture. In, verse, uh, in Exodus 14, I just talked about that. He removes his people from Egypt. He's separating the light from the dark. Genesis chapter 6, the Noahic flood, he separates Noah and his um, family from the world. In Genesis 19, it is Lot who is separated from the Sodomites. He separates the light from the darkness. You see this also in Matthew chapter 24, and people ask, speculate, well, who's getting removed from the earth? When the Lord comes, who's actually uh, being removed? But following the pattern from Genesis, it's light being separated from the dark. In Matthew 24, I'll pick it up in verse 29 through 31, and it says, Immediately after... That would be the last trump, as we read about in other places. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. He's going to gather his lights out of this world and separate them from the world. You look over at verse 40 of Matthew 24, and he says, Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken and the other left. Following the pattern, who's being taken? It's the light from the dark. That would be the world. The field represents the world. Christians are out in the world; they are being removed from the world. Verse um, forty-one: Two women shall be grinding in the mill. The one shall be taken, and the other left. I would suggest to you that that's representing the church, because you use you grind wheat to make bread, and that's what people in the church um, do generally. The bread being Christ, we would open Him up and talk about Him. So that would be the church. So you're going to have the believers removed from the non-believers. You're having the light separated from the darkness. And so that's what we see in um, Genesis chapter 1. And again, that's what the Lord calls us to do experientially. That's what he wants us to do experientially. He wants to separate the light from um, the darkness. So we have in Ephesians, actually, I think I've got the wrong reference. Let's think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, this is the Lord telling us, this is how you should live your lives now. We've got this wonderful picture set for us in Genesis, but experientially, what do we do? He says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? There is no fellowship to be had, and what communion hath light with darkness, same thing, same pattern set before us here. There is going to be a division and a separation between the light and the darkness. Verse fifteen: In what concord hath Christ with Belial? That would be Satan. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? He's setting these parallels before us here: righteousness, unrighteousness, light, darkness, um, Christ with Satan. Um, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, this is what he's telling you to do. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. He's telling the world, he's telling Christians in the world to come out of the world. Do not be um, unequally yoked with these people. Do not... um, Unite your hearts with them. Separate yourself from the world. Do not get involved in the world. I've quoted before, our conversation is not on this earth. Our conversation is heaven. That's where our government is. That's where our our king is. That's where our love is. Our love is for God the Father, God the Son, and all of his saints. So we are to separate ourselves from the world. And that is exactly what we see God doing in Genesis chapter 1. Verse five, he separates the light from the darkness and he gives a name to each one. The light he calls day um, and the commentators say the root of that comes from the word motion which is under the influence of light and the darkness he calls night and they tell me again that the Hebrew word has to do with deviation. So God is giving names to these things that would be associated with their different characteristics. So dividing, binding, and giving a name. And then it says, and the evening was, and the morning was, the first day. We understand that is a 24-hour period. So we have this pattern where we go from dark to light. God has sets this uh, up for us, and that's not the way we think of a day and the way we have set up our calendars. We think it goes from midnight to midnight, or when we speak about a day, oftentimes we think it starts with sunrise and ends, let's say, the the next day. Day 24 hours later. In Nehemiah 4:21, it talks about how uh, the day ends um, at when the stars begin to appear, and that's when a new day uh, begins. So in the scriptures, a day goes from a period of darkness to a period of light which is consistent with our spiritual awakening. We go from darkness to light. Colossians 1:13, the Lord te- teaches us that. He said, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who we know, of course, is light. So, pattern in scriptures, it was evening and morning, first day, evening and morning, second day. That's a pattern of going from dark to light, which is what we experience. Ephesians 5.8 says, Ye were sometimes darkness... But now ye are the light of the world. And we saw that in Ephesians chapter 2, the first couple of verses. We were darkness. We walked in darkness and we were dead in trespasses and sin just like the rest of the world. But now he has moved us to um, a kingdom of light. And he is telling us not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So day one closes out with God declaring the light good. It's not until day three that we're going to see that again where he calls something good and that's when the dry land appears out of the water and then we of course have the resurrection set before us and we're going to see fruit come out of the ground adorning those things which God had previously uh, done. In verse six here we see that he says let there be a firmament and I want to share with you that the word firmament appears in verse six, verse seven, and verse eight and it means something different in all three verses and so Context, context, context. So God says, let there be a firmament or an expanse, an atmosphere. In a creative context, God is creating um, the atmosphere where birds fly and where clouds are. And we should appreciate that the scripture speaks of actually three um, heavens, three heavens. There's a heaven where the clouds are. There's a heaven where the stars are. And then there's the spiritual heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Um, The Apostle Paul is speaking by inspiration of the Holy Ghost and he says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether it be in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such as one caught up to the third heaven. So he's telling us that there are three heavens. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that. He was caught up into paradise, that would be the third heaven, and heard unspeakable words, of which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So the Lord is setting forth before here that he's creating the atmospheric heaven, but it's going to be symbolic of um, something. So we have the clouds, we have stars, and then we have the spiritual realm. And in verse 7, God's going to separate the waters above from the waters below. In James 3.12, he talks about how a fountain cannot yield both salt water and fresh water. And in the creative event, we know that the waters below are salty, the seas are salty, and the waters above are fresh water. So God is separating believers from non-believers. And so he is separating the waters, peoples, above from the peoples below, the peoples in whom heart has been shined the light. He's removing them from the other group and he's raising them up. If we had continued in Ephesians chapter 2 we left off at verse 3 if we'd read verse 4 it says but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, even when we were that darkened water um, even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved and hath raised us up Together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. And this is what you're seeing as the Lord continues here in the, um, his um, narrative of how he created the physical world. We're seeing what he's doing in a spiritual realm. So there is something that separates these two peoples. And he says he put a firmament to separate these two peoples. What would that firmament be? It's the cross of Christ separating between these two groups. Recall that Christ was above the earth when he was on the cross. He was between heaven and earth when he was on the cross. It is the cross that separates between these groups, between believers and non-believers, saints unregenerated light, dark sheep, goats. That is the firmament that separates in there. And in verse 8, it says, and God called the firmament, which is a different firmament. He calls it heaven. He gives it a name. And it was so. God is sovereignly ruling over all things. God is determining what waters, what peoples are going to glory, and which ones are going to remain in darkness. And it was evening and morning, the second day. Now, when we move to day three here, we can appreciate that we see resurrection in verse 9. We see dry land coming out of the seas, dry land coming out of the peoples. In Romans chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus Christ, our Lord, was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, made of a woman. So as I mentioned to you last week, big picture, God speaks the earth into existence. He makes man out of the earth, takes the woman out of the man, puts the um, um, divine seed in the woman, and out of the woman comes the man. So you can think of, in this context here, that the earth... um, represents Christ in terms of a resurrection. And and so it says here, dry land. And we know that when the um, Israelites, when God's people were delivered from Egypt, delivered from the world, they crossed over dry land through the Red Sea. And when they went to that which symbolizes glory into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan River on dry land. So the dry land comes out of, the, um, out of the seas here, and we appreciate that the resurrection is in view here. And this, on the third day, of course, Christ rose from the dead. And what do we begin to see immediately after that? We begin to see that the earth brings forth fruit with the seed in it. We, the saints, are the fruit of God's laborers, in which is the seed of Christ. Big picture principle in Genesis, like kind after like kind. Christ begets Christians, and Christians beget other Christians. I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. God is the one who has defined the limits to how far the water can go. Again, we're speaking about the physical context, but he's also speaking about it in a spiritual context. He said that in Job 38:11, He says, Hitherto shalt thou come no further. He's talking to the oceans. And here shall thy proud waves be stayed. The um, waters are not going to encroach upon the dry land. They're not going to encroach upon Christ. They're not going to encroach upon his Christians. In Jeremiah 5, 22, the Lord speaking, he says, Fear ye not me, this is the Lord speaking, saith the Lord, will ye not tremble at my presence which hath placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it, and though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not Prevail, though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. God has set a division between the non-elect and the elect. They cannot cross over it. Now, we know that the church is going to suffer at their hands, but the church, by virtue of Christ's work, will prevail. In the end, in the book of Revelation, that that he's going to make the city and the darkness shall... the people that are without shall not come into the city. God has made a division there. Christ is the one who separates the light from the darkness, the fresh waters above from the salty waters below. He separates the earth from the seas, the sheep from the goats, believers from non-believers, children of God from children of Satan. It cannot be crossed. And so we see in here God dividing, binding, and then naming things associated with their characteristics. And we see that the end of the third day closes out with, and God saw that it was good. And indeed, the resurrection is good. So taking this all back down to the reunion uh, that uh, my wife attended to um, yesterday, that's the way it was. All of these people were um, the same, one with each other. Um, they were a darkened mass, if I can use the language of uh, Genesis chapter 1, and yet God worked in the hearts of a couple of people to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in them. That this other person would come up and speak with my wife is quite remarkable, that out of all of the people there, that they would come together and uh, this other woman would say something. And we know that when Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, Came to Mary, who was pregnant with Christ, the babe in Elizabeth's womb leapt. And so it is often when we come upon other Christians that our hearts leap when we come upon another Christian. God has somehow put that, that truth in us. I'm not telling you you can identify Christians, but I'm just saying that, that the Spirit works in, in us in ways that we cannot appreciate and understand sometimes, and He unites us and He, he removes His people from the, the, um, the masses and brings them together in Christ. And such he has done for every one of us. um, To his glory and, uh, and ours as well. Amen.